don't have your scripture with you, uh, there's also Bibles in the backs of the chairs. We encourage you to take and, and use one of those. Uh, I want to also remind you that tomorrow night, <clears throat> excuse me, we have our rest worship time, and that is a, a come and go uh, experience, worship experience. Uh, I think it runs from about 6.30 to 9.00. Uh, times may be off. It's in your worship guide. Uh, but about the first hour or so, we have child care. Um, I know that's a, a, a deal for some of us. You need to have our, your kids watch while you come. So we'll have that here. We'll be back in this uh, Sanctus High Five room. We'll set it up for our worship time. Strongly encourage you to be here. It is soul refreshing um, and uh, a fantastic time of just some worship and prayer. Uh, so be here uh, with us tomorrow night. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to be in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. Paul's going to continue his uh, encouragement for this young church. Um, and uh, uh, we're going to see what he has, I think, to say to us to encourage us in our walk with Jesus also. So uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. Uh, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So Paul's going to continue to talk to this church as he has been suffering, as he suffered uh, in his ministry to them already, um, and done a lot to get to them and to minister to them. Uh, he's just going to continue and encourage them as they go through a difficult time. It's unique. Uh, Thessalonians, this is the first, the, the two books of Thessalonians are very unique um, letters from Paul. Uh, they uh, are exceptionally relational. Uh, if you've ever tried to, to read through maybe Corinthians um, or the book of Romans, and you're like, gosh, I don't even know what Paul's talking about anymore. You know, they're so highly theologically, you know, packed books. Uh, even the book of Galatians, you're like, gosh, what the Old Testament stuff, I don't understand. Um, these books are kind of marked by the fact that they're very, very relational. So I think one thing that that reminds us of and a great encouragement for us is, is that doctrinal truth and doctrinal purity are invaluable. They're vital to our Christian walk and our walk with God, our relationship with Him, but also experiential, relational discipleship. Examples, people who can show us what it looks like to follow Christ are maybe more important. I hate to say it that way, but if I want to encourage, if I want to impact people's lives for them to become like Christ, I can't just teach them information. Sooner or later, they need to see in me those truths being lived out, especially in difficult times and suffering and in painful times. So those experiential relational discipleship is, is even maybe more important uh, than some of the doctrinal stuff that we try to give away sometimes or an overemphasis on that maybe. Uh, all of that has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent and the source and the power of change and our discipleship and living life with other people. So it's all dependent on the Holy Spirit as we try to do that for uh, uh, each other and in each other's lives. So if we're going to live that kind of life with each other, if we're going to pour our lives into other people, which Paul's really going to get into as we go through this, um, what does that mean for us? Well, we'll I do want to start with this and tell you that it's going to cost you something. That the minute you decide to really walk with people, it's going to cost you something. That life-on-life -life discipleship can't be lived uh, in a shell or in a uh, self-protective case, you know? Um, it's got to be have some kind of cost associated with it, um, some kind of sacrifice. You're probably not going to be beaten or go to prison like Paul did as he was trying to disciple this young church. But it is going to cost you things like your time and your money and your convenience— in a bother-free life. Like, I just want to go home and not be bothered. 
You can't live life on life discipleship like that. You're going to have, you're going to be bothered. <laughs> and people are going to show up at your door and you're going to get phone calls and you're going to get texts and emails. And you're going to have to give something up to walk with people like that. Somebody has said that ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And I absolutely believe that to be a true axiom. I would say this too. The best part of what I do as a pastor is I get to work with people. I love it. The worst thing that I get to do is work with people. <laughs> right? But you got to understand that if you're going to do this thing called ministry, whether it's professionally, pastorally, or as a church member, as a friend, as a life-on-life -life discipleship, it's going to be the best thing you ever do. It's going to be the most painful and most difficult thing you ever do will be to walk with people, life-on-life -life discipleship. So there is a cost um, that's involved with this that we should point out here at the beginning. So let's continue to go through as Paul gets into his encouragement and tries to show how he's going to live this life with them. Let's continue to see what he says. He says, verse 2, <clears throat> he says, We've suffered, we've been mistreated. Um, as you know, we had boldness, we had boldness, courage. Some of your scriptures may say courage in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. Uh, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examined our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. So Paul's kind of recounting for them how their relationship has worked up to this point. And he's effectively saying, we have, with all integrity and character, we have done our best to minister to you um, and asked very, very little in return from you. Um, so this kind of life-on-life -life discipleship, it takes a certain kind of courage. It takes a certain kind of boldness. And, and Paul talks about their, that at the beginning. Somebody else has said that we are naturally devoted cowards. We are kind of committed to not doing anything that requires courage. We do almost everything in our lives to avoid doing things that puts us in difficult situations or having to challenge the status quo or take on a challenge that seems too big for us. We'll do almost anything we can to avoid those things. Now that could be in Christianity, that might be afraid to tell somebody about your faith. And you may not even know why. Why am I, why am I intimidated in this situation? Why am I afraid to share my faith. So it could be something like that, where you're afraid to share your faith in the natural settings that God has given you. Uh, maybe you're afraid to bring up a really hard subject with a friend or a spouse or a child. You're afraid to stick it out and do the hard work that it takes to be right with people. You're afraid to change, to really change, and to change in a community with people. Maybe that's in your family or, or in your little life group setting or whatever it is. You're really afraid to get into the change that we all need to go through. So like Paul, we need to have courage and we need to have boldness to live out our faith. So how can we do that? How can we speak into people's lives, this life-on-life -life discipleship, with courage and with boldness? First of all, Paul talks about these things, and I'm just going to recount them for you. If you're going to be courageous with people, your life can't be built on acceptance or praise. If you want everybody in your life to like you, you will never be courageous. You will always be a coward. If your life, if your version, your vision of yourself is wrapped up in people's acceptance and love of you and praise of you, you will never say the hard things. You'll never do the hard things. 
So your life can't be built up around acceptance or praise. We want to be loved, and we want to be known, and we want to love other people, but we don't want our security to rest in the acceptance of other people. So that's the first thing. It can't be, your life can't be built on acceptance or the praise of others. Secondly, <clears throat> your life can't be built on money or success. You can't look at the people in your life as resources, as stepping stones to get what you want. People are not assets. And you can't look as people at people as resources who are here for your benefit. Because if you do see them that way, you'll do nothing to risk that, ever. So it can't be built on acceptance, can't be built on a success. Life has to be built around and on people. People are people. They're not projects. They're not trophies. You can't go into this life-on-life discipleship thing so you can start a hall of fame in your office and point out to somebody, look at all these people that I've discipled. They are my trophies of grace. Look what I have accomplished. People are people. They are the in the church, we are the children of God. And we have to see each other that way and be committed to each other that way. And if I'm going to have courage with you, I have to see that my life is the foundation of the, the lifestyle and the life that I want to live is going to be built on people, not as trophies or as projects, but as children of God. Next thing, life has to be built on acceptance and love, the power of the Holy Spirit, truth and freedom. You have to really be kind of grounded in the fact that you are God's child and he has given you these relationships for a particular purpose right for such a time as this god has placed you around the people uh, that are in your life and you have to see your life as being built for that purpose and that gives you great courage boldness comes from that god has a purpose for me he's put me with these people for this time for this reason and if he's laid that on my heart i need to have a way to talk to them about that i need to bring that up with them so courage and boldness is going to be uh, required why do we need courage because it's already hard some of us start having cold sweats in here when we think about having to confront somebody <laughs> with something. We haven't even done anything, you know, and we already start to get a little nervous about it. Um, it is hard. When you live in community with people, when you live in close relationship with people, and you are committed to pouring yourself into other people, it is difficult. They are difficult. You're difficult. Life is difficult. It's already hard. And we're going to be intentionally leaning into some tender, complicated areas, right? Very, very little that you run across in people's lives is simple, right? It's almost always complicated. And there's multiple layers of stuff that you got to kind of sort your way through. And man, that takes courage. That takes a, a certain kind of Holy Spirit, God-given boldness to want to walk into those places with people, you know, and dig with them as they begin to dig into their lives so we need that kind of courage it's hard we're, we're pointing people towards towards jesus um we don't want to get sidetracked we can't waver we can't be deterred uh we can't be diverted anything other than pointing people towards jesus christ is unloving stopping short of saying what would jesus want us to do what would christ be like what would his decision be what are his thoughts about this what does god say what does scripture say what, is, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about the love of God and about what God's plan is for people? Anything short of that is not courageous. Anything short of that is not what God's calling us to. I think ultimately it's unloving. So that takes a courage and a boldness and a commitment to do nothing else. So that means as you're doing life-on-life -life, uh, uh, discipleship and life-on-life -life ministry and you're trying to pour yourself into someone, you have to have the courage to not stop short 
of pointing people to living with Christ. That means you can't stop with morality. Teaching people to be moral people is not, at the end of the day, the most loving thing you can do for them. And that goes with your children or your employees or anything else. It's godly, and there's, a, there's an aspect of that we want to give to people, but if that's your goal as a Christian, as you disciple people, that's not very loving at all, right? It's works-based. There's a prison uh, involved with that at some point. Not about church attendance, not about obedience, it's not about having friends, it's not about uh, voting a particular way, it's not about telling people who stays at home and who works outside the house, it's not about haircuts or tattoos or no tattoos. Boldness in walking with somebody towards Jesus Christ. It is, it is a courageous act to take people who don't look anything like you and walk with them towards Jesus. That takes courage. And that has to come from God. It's a boldness that has to come from God, a courage that God supernaturally has to give to us because there's a fine line between being convinced that you're walking with people toward God and His righteousness and being arrogant in your version of daily Christianity. There's a thin line there somewhere. And some of us are arrogant. We're so ultimately convinced about our rightness that we're going to do it this way and this is what it has to look like. And it's not courage at all. It's a personal arrogance that you've got this Christian thing figured out. So it takes some supernatural gift from God to give us this courage to make sure that I don't slip into that kind of personal arrogance and pride as I disciple people, as I walk with people towards God. One is boldness, the other is arrogance, right? But I do want to ask this question. With whom do you need courage? Who has God put in your life to walk with them, to disciple them, to pour your life into them, life-on-life -life discipleship, daily stuff, and you need some courage. Not to accuse them of anything, right? Not to knock them down. To just present truth to them in a loving way. Hard things to them in a loving way. Pointing out inconsistencies to them in just a, the most loving way possible, but it takes courage and boldness. Who is already in your life, and you need to start to pray, God, give me courage here. Show me what it looks like with, to, to, with courage to step into that relationship and say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done, right? Anybody praying that prayer? Because you, you should start praying it now, right? That God has put these people in your life and you need that supernatural courage to go do what he's called you to do. Verses four through six, Paul is defending the truthfulness of his ministry, um, the veracity of his ministry. And there, I think there's a warning here for us. Look in verse four. I want to read these again. So he's talking about himself and, and uh, Sylvanus and Timothy. And he says, We have uh, been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We speak not as pleasing men, but uh, as pleasing God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. So there's a money issue. We didn't come to minister to you for money. God is our witness. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. So he's defending his his uh, authority with them, the right that he has to minister to them, that they came and they did it the right way. And I think there's a warning here for us too. As you minister with people, as you walk with people and disciple people, you have to remember to serve with integrity. Serve God with a pure heart. God looks beyond your actions and he looks into your motives. So all of our life has to be geared toward bringing glory to God and to serving other people with integrity. Man, what ha what's happened to integrity? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it is just not even a value, it seems to be. I think in our culture, in our churches, it's just sort of disappeared. 
And we need to come back to this thing where we, we could stand up not in pride or arrogance, but in confidence and say, I, I have a personal integrity as I minister to you, right? And you can trust that what I'm doing with you as I talk to you about hard things is coming from a heart that's pure and a heart that's dedicated toward the Lord. We need that kind of personal integrity again as we minister to people. I also think there's a word of caution here for our modern church. You go back to 1 Corinthians, and the church has always struggled with giving too much honor to the stage gifts. To the people who stood up and put on a show, the church has always struggled with giving them too much honor, right? So we know that historically for 2,000 years, we struggle with this. Now, in 21st century America, we have a celebrity-driven culture. We have a culture that people are celebrity for no other reason than they are celebrities, <laughs> They're famous for no other reason than they're famous. That leaks into the church culture, right? Now, we can shake our finger at the secular world, but at sooner or later, we've got to look at the church, and we have to say, where have we created a false celebrity culture, the, the, the cult of personality? Whether that's about the guy standing here speaking, or a particular singer, or a particular traveling speaker, or a particular author, or an actor, or something like that, and we've raised them up to this level of something of to be worshipped or followed simply because they have celebrity about them. We are constantly seeking a celebrity to give praise to who can validate our Christianity. I think that's part of it. We want our Christianity to be accepted in the world we live in, and when we can attach our Christianity to somebody who's got celebrity, it validates us somehow. And we wrestle, we struggle with this right now, I think, in at least American Christianity. Beware of seekers of celebrity, Christian leaders who are seeking that position and praise. Watch out for that. Watch it for the need in your own heart. You can be a celebrity in your own little area, you know, your own little world. We want it. We need to be careful of it in our own hearts, and we need to be careful of how we give it. There's a difference between giving honor to people and puffing people up, right? So let's give honor while honor is due, and let's just make sure we're not puffing people up unnaturally, okay? Um, so I think there's warnings there for us as we minister to each other. Look in verse 6. Uh, he continues through verse 11. We didn't seek glory. Uh, we didn't seek it from you or others. We could have asserted our authority. Verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you. So we had courage earlier, and now we have gentleness. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship how working night and day so as not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you, now, uh, just as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So here we have gentleness and this imagery of a father, this imagery of a, of a mother, and he kind of moves into a different uh, way of trying to encourage them and trying to motivate them. We need boldness and we need courage to step into the, the deep waters of people's lives and their hearts and pain and the suffering and the difficulties of life. That takes courage. But there's also times when we need to be gentle. 
So who, uh, who, I just said, we can say this out loud. We can maybe raise our hands. Who struggles with courage? Courage is hard for you. Just put your hand up. Okay. Who struggles with being gentle? Put your hands up. I know some of y'all. Okay. Right? This is, this is not easy. And trying to find this balance between, between being a courageous, bold person and being gentle, that's hard. Right? One of my, one of my spiritual gifts that I was saved when I was about 12 and then about 15 or 16, I really, really started to follow Christ. And one of the things that became clear and evident very early for me was that I had this gift of discernment or prophecy, whatever you want to call it. It's very easy for me to kind of be around a person for a very short period of time, kind of see what's happening in their lives, and see what they need to do to get, get it right, to get it fixed. Now, I have a tendency to want to tell you that. And when you're 16 and you're a Christian, it's like a baby with a power tool, okay? <laughs> and, and so I, I hurt a lot of people early on in my, in my walk with Christ, probably from 16 to about my mid-20s, where I just had this burning desire, and I felt very validated because it was my spiritual gift, to go and just blow your world up and tell you what was wrong with you and how you needed to fix it. In Jesus' name, you know, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... There's, we struggle with finding that balance between boldness, I had too much boldness, right, and gentleness. Now, what I would say the Lord has beaten into me for the last 12 years here with you all has been mercy and gentleness. I, I, am, I am not the same person that I was 10 years ago, and it is directly related to what God has done in me through you all. And so I, as your pastor and as a follower of Christ, appreciate your patience with me and your work in my life that you may not even be aware of um, as the Lord has sort of given me some gentleness and mercy I hope um, for all of you um, as we walk together um, so there are times when we need that kind of gentleness um, with people there's times we have to exhort and encourage people with some firmness uh, you see a marriage here of the courage that he's prayed for along with being a mother and a father the tenderness that's there uh, Paul uses b all of these things, right? The courage and the boldness and then walking with them tenderly. Um, I think the mature disciple maker, the maturing disciple maker, begins to understand that there's times to be strong and there's times to be gentle. So here's what I want to encourage you to do, and this isn't everybody in the room just yet, but maybe some of you are at this place. I want to encourage some of you in this room to lead with authority God's given you some authority in some relationship, and that may be a work relationship, and there's a discipleship thing going on, or at home with your children, even adult children, right? Maybe your spouse, I don't know, a friend. Lead with authority. Lead with courage. Speak out with that boldness. But here's what I would say, man. Do it from a position of personal relationship. You got to invest a lot to be able to walk into somebody's life and start talking about stuff. And give and them to give you the permission to then walk with them, right? How many times is the door shut when you have a little bit of a relationship and you start poking at something and they just close the door? You don't have the permission to walk with them yet, right? So build that personal relationship with people. Be intentional about that. Lead with boldness. Lead with authority. But lead from a place of personal relationship. Now there's other people in the room, and I need to say this to you. You need to receive authority into your life from that place of personal relationship. Whoever that person is that's trying to speak into you, they don't hate you, they love you. Whoever that person is that's coming in and they're giving you a little corrective word, a little exhortation to change, to do something different, maybe they've just said, hey, what's wrong? I see something's happening 
We need to work on that. They're not doing it because they dislike you or because they think they're better than you. They're doing it because they love you. And you know what? You need to grow up and you need to, you need to mature a little bit and receive that authority in your life from that place of personal relationship that they have with you. Does that make sense? So I think that's for both of us on both ends of the spectrum there. Exercise authority from personal relationship. Receive authority from personal relationship. God has placed each of us in this unique position of influence wherever you are and this relationship that you're in to use your specific relational influence to cause that person to look more like Jesus Christ, to lead them in kingdom things. Gosh, man, I think, is that up there? No, it's not. Listen to the podcast and write it down because it's awesome. And I really want you to think about that. God has placed you where you are, he has uniquely created and crafted you to be where you're at, to have influence with someone, to have a personal relationship with someone, so that you can specifically, with your relational influence, push them to be more like Christ, lead them, walk with them to be more like Christ in God's kingdom work. That ought to really encourage us, each one of us, to do it the way God made me to do it, but to do it with courage, right? And in that relationship that God's given us. So courage and gentleness. Verse 9, he talks about some things and working hard and labor of hardship and all this. He points out several times here, listen, this is hard work, right? I personally don't want an easy Christianity. I don't want that brand of Christianity. I hope you don't want that brand of Christianity. I want a Christianity that calls me to higher things. I want to walk with Jesus that encourages me, challenges me, changes me pushes me to something I've never been or done before. I want that brand of Christianity, okay? And that's what we're talking about this morning, I think, and what we talk about here sort of on a regular basis. And that is hard work. You don't walk into that Christianity easily. But the gospel, I want to encourage you, gives us legs for that journey, man. Working with people is exhausting. It is exhausting, y'all. And if you've ever tried, ever tried to really walk with someone, it is the most tiring thing you're ever going to do. Okay? It is exhausting, but I will tell you this, the gospel gives us legs for that journey. The gospel of Christ gives us the strength and the encouragement and the, and, the, and the perseverance that we need for that. Paul, with these people, he had been beaten and mocked and thrown in prison and falsely accused of things, but he, they just keep coming. He just keeps on coming, man. None of that keeps him from doing what God's called him to do. When you minister to people in close proximity to people who are broken, there's going to be setbacks and disappointments and betrayals and rejection, and some of your values are going to get adjusted along the way. It is challenging, tiring work. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus changes our hearts, and he gives us this kind of love for people, and we want to walk with people and life on life, he's going to give us legs for that journey no matter what. No matter what. And it's hard. It's a difficult, difficult thing for us to do. Um... Anybody ever seen uh, The Count of Monte Cristo? Jesus was in it. Jim Caviezel was in it. Just kidding. He plays Jesus later. Uh, he was in that movie. And there's this great scene, his little buddy Jacopo, who he could have killed at one point, but he saves him, and he commits his life to walking with him for the rest of their life. Uh, the, the Count is on this, this path toward revenge. He wants everyone who made him suffer to suffer and die. That's his life. He has set his life on that goal. And he reaches this one point where he meets his former fiance, and he finds out that he actually has a child. I'm blowing the story for you guys if you haven't seen it. Finds out he actually has a child with her after before he'd been to prison and all this kind of stuff. And his buddy Jacopo's like, listen, you are rich. 
you're a good-looking young man. You still have your life ahead of you. You have her, and you have your child. You need to just take your stuff and get out of here. You need to just go. This path that you have set yourself on is going to be your destruction. And he, Jacopo kind of intervenes at one point to keep Edmond from doing something that he probably would regret later on. And Edmond says this. He says, if you ever, if you ever presume to interfere in my affairs again, I will promise you I will finish the job I started the day we met, which means I'll kill you. He says, do you understand? And Jacopo says, I understand you are mad. And Edmund says, mad? My enemies are falling into my traps perfectly. And Jacopo says, mad, your grace, for ignoring this. You have a fortune, a beautiful woman who loves you. Take the money, take the woman, and live your life. Stop this plan. Take what you have won. And Edmund says, I can't. And Jacopo says, why not? He says, I am still your man. I swore an oath to protect you, even if it means I must protect you from yourself. The gospel gives us legs for the journey, guys. And by the way, the book Mount Count of Monte Cristo is an exceptionally biblically driven plot line that ends quite differently than the movie does. And you see it in this conversation that this young Jacopo, the servant man, understands, man, I am committed to you to walk like this. And the gospel of Christ gives me legs to walk with you even when you're a knucklehead. Even when you're making the worst of life choices, I'm not bailing out, I'm walking with you. I am, I am still your man. Who do you need to say that to? Maybe it's a child, a spouse, a coworker, somebody you're discipling. You need to get on the phone and say, listen, you know what? I am still your man. If you're a girl, don't say that, okay? Person, right? <laughs> still your person. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm committed to you. Even if I have to protect you from you, I'm going to finish this with you. Gospel gives us legs for that journey. Look in verse 10. You are witnesses, so is God, of how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Why would Paul walk with people like this? Why would he give himself like this? Why would he suffer like this? Because the point is to point people to walk like Jesus Christ. Not to be their friend, not to be accepted, not to have people sing your praise. To point people to walk in a manner that is worthy of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. And he's pushing them toward that. We want to disciple people. We want to live Christianity um, from a place that I think we're, where we're growing, where we're sincere, we have this life-changing faith uh, and walk with God. And remember that we are dealing with people's hearts. You're not just dealing with their actions or their behavior or situations and circumstances in their lives. You are dealing with people's hearts. So we have to make sure that we are blameless people. Paul uses that word here, that, that place of integrity we talked about. Blameless doesn't mean sinless. It means, I think it means this. I think it means that Paul is honest about who he is. Paul is honest about his sins. He is actively dealing with his sin. Paul look, knows his sin, and he judges it, and he's doing something about it. He is brutally and thoroughly honest about his sins and about his struggles and dealing with them in the Holy Spirit and applying God's gospel to his junk all the time. That, to me, is blamelessness. Because I don't know anybody who's, who's sinless. So I can't have Scripture tell me to be blameless and then it means sinless. 
But I can't have scripture tell me to be blameless in the idea that nobody else can judge me because I've already, through the gospel, judged myself. I know where I'm at in Christ, and I'm applying the gospel to my fallenness. That is a blameless walk with Christ. Does that make sense? Because in Christ, there's no condemnation. See, so I'm blameless, right? So long as I'm laying it down at his feet and I'm walking with him. So we're dealing with people's hearts. We want to make sure that we're blameless people as we're pointing them to Christ. If we're not careful, all of this becomes another to-do. It becomes a, another Sunday thing. This is something I'm supposed to do. I want to step back. I think it's verse uh, 8. He says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. He says, We were pleased to share our own souls. And that word life is actually a bad translation. I wish it said souls. That would be much deeper and more meaningful. And, that, and so he says, we were pleased to share our own souls. Paul's like, listen, we're not just here to give you the message. I'm here to give you me. It's not just the message, but the messenger. It's not just the words, but lives. It's not doc doctrines, but hearts. This is why we push you to small groups, to life groups here at our church. Not because of our need to get stuff, but because God has called each of us to give something. And that happens in our life groups. That happens in community groups. That happens where we give ourselves away to each other. And we, are, we should be pleased to do that. Making disciples is what we do, and love is why we do it. That is our product here. And I want you to understand that. In our consumer-driven world, we should understand this. What is the product of this church? Not what happens on Sunday morning. This is not our product. I'm not even selling you this at all. I am selling you on the idea that the Holy Spirit of God is alive in, in this world today, active in your hearts, and he will change you to look like Jesus Christ. And that happens most effectively when you live in community with other people and people who are going to disciple you life-on-life -life discipleship. That's where it happens most effectively. And I want to tell you that because I love you and because love is the thing that drives us to, just like we see here from Paul, that he was pleased to give their souls. They shared their souls with them. They were eager, I think it says, well-pleased, eager to share their souls with them. I think we have a really unique church. We talked about in our worship, I mean, our, our covenant membership uh, class that we had this morning. Most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, or maybe 10% of the people do 90% of the work. They get, the giving is pretty much the same thing. 20% of the people give the majority of the money. Here, it's completely flipped on its head. It's completely upside down. And I want to ask this question. Don't be embarrassed if you're not a member or whatever. But you would just say, I, I go here, I attend here kind of regularly, and I serve here somewhere, anywhere, any amount of time. Just put your hand up. Put your hand up. Yeah, just real quick. Keep it up. All right. That's a lot of people, y'all. I wouldn't even do that in most churches because it would be horrifying. It would be terrifying to see how few hands would pop up in most churches. We have this amazing culture here where people are serving. You're like, well, why is that happening? We're, we serve and we work hard. There's a setup team that comes before anybody gets here and they set up things, they put signs out, they make sure the building's ready to go. We have worship people and AV people that are back here. You don't know their names. They serve every Sunday, mostly in anonymity um, and do a great job. We have our Sanctus team that serves with our kids on Wednesdays. Most of you aren't even here on Wednesdays. Um, we have this great group of people that serve. We have a food team that serves when we have food that needs to be served at stuff. And they do, like, I rarely run across anybody who's like, oh, I have to make food again for people at the church. Stop eating so much, you know. <laughs> like, I, I just don't, I haven't run across that attitude here. 
I would say 95% of the time, people are, they're thrilled. Like, can I do more? I get that question a lot. What else can I do? How else can I help? Where else can I serve? There is an eagerness about us to serve people here. Are you eager to share your soul with other people, especially here at the Sanctuary Fellowship? In this place where you have committed to be here, to serve, to worship, to experience life together, are you eager to give your life to share your souls with other people. In the preschool area, and many of you serve in there, at the very least, those people are setting the stage for, the stage for salvation later on in those little children's lives. That's the very least that they're doing. Possibly, they're enabling a marriage to be saved while that couple's in here. They're allowing an adult to come to Christ. They're allowing some other person to be ministered to fully by the gospel in this room. They're not, they're not babysitting children. And they're eager to be back there and to do it. Sanctus, these are such important years. Man, your teenagers are crazy people. They are, they are crazy. I don't know how any of them survive, you know, until they're like 18 or 19. They're awesome. But they really are searching and forming their own walk with Jesus. When you sit down with them and you have a good conversation with them, and it starts coming out, they really are seeking and trying to find out what does it look like to walk with God? What does that mean for me? And the struggles and the things that they have, and people are eager to serve with them. We have our women, where there's a retreat coming up, and souls are going to be bared, and life spoken into hearts, thrive together ministry. Here, um, and this is going to pick at a sore spot, and I'm kind of ready for the emails, jared at tsf-church.com. <laughs> That's the email address. Who is eager to serve with our men? Twelve years into this, and we've done some sporadic things over the years, who's eager to serve with our guys? Who's eager to give your souls to the men of our church? Because that's a, that's a giant hole for us. Our ladies' ministry is happening, life groups, and listen, here's what I want to tell you about life groups. Life groups not about the meeting. We're going to schedule meetings. We're going to do it every two weeks, give or take. But it's not about the meeting. If you think life group is about that meeting that happens on Sundays, you completely miss the point. It's a place where we are eager to pour out our souls to each other. We talk about giving in our covenant membership class. If you want to be healthy and joyful as a Christian, give yourself away. Giving isn't about money. It's part of it, tiny part of it. It's about giving your life to other people. Being eager to give your souls to other people. Take every resource that you have. Take everything that God's given you and ask the Lord, where can I give myself away? How can I invest this in people? And then spend the rest of your lives giving yourself to that. Being eager to give your souls to others. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought like that? God, what have you given me? How can I invest that in other people? How do you want me to spend the rest of my life giving myself away for other people? Rarely do we ask that question. When we do life-on-life -life discipleship, when we really want to walk with people closely like that, I want you to understand something. That is an extension of the shepherd ministry of our church, of our, of our pastoral staff. The first thing that happens, guys, when I get a call from your friend or your family, so-and-so's in the hospital, so-and-so had a miscarriage, so-and-so's child is rebellious and run away from home, the very first thing, the th first question we ask as a staff is, what life group are they in? Who are they in community with? 
Who can we call and draw alongside them that will walk with them through this difficult time? It is an extension of our shepherding ministry that you walk in relationship like that with people in life group and in community like that, and you're giving yourselves away to each other. We've got to reverse that thought and the value process that we've been indoctrinated with. We need to ask questions like, how can I give to them? What can I spend on that person? What's the most important, or what can I do for them? How can I rearrange my schedule and my life and my priorities to make sure that their needs are met? Some of us are so confused, and we think that church is about getting, and life is about accumulating and protecting, and security, and position, and influence. And here's what I want to tell you, man. God wants you to receive so that you can give. So I pray for all of you. Some of you own businesses, or you're way, way up in your business, or whatever, leadership, or you know, what, whatever you're doing, home with your children, I pray consistently for our church family that God would pour his resources on us. Not so that you become rich, fat, and happy, so that you can give it away. So we can learn what it means to be this giving, sacrificially, I'm going to give my life away to, to, to people kind of church. I think we are, but I want us to have more resources so we can do it more and more, right? God wants you to receive so you can give. To give your soul like Paul says, to him and to other people. He wants so much more from you than your stuff. Some of us in our baby Christianity, we think God just wants my stuff and he wants to take my time and my enjoyment and my play and all that. And he wants me to have fun. He wants me to work and that's it. That's a very immature view of God because I want to tell you, God wants a lot more than your stuff. That's baby stuff. He wants you. He wants your souls. That's what God wants from you. He wants the deepest part of who you are so that it's given to other people. So I'd say this, maybe for some of you, Christianity is really boring and bland, and you kind of hit this place where you're not really growing very much in your life, in your walk with God. And maybe I would just challenge you this morning, it's because you're not giving everything. There's a giant funnel that leads into your life, and there's a tiny little bottle hole that leads out. Star Wars comes out December 20th. Can I have an Amen. You can drive out to the theater two hours beforehand. You can talk to everybody who goes in. You can share Star Wars stories. You can hang out in the parking lot for two and a half hours. You can celebrate the end of the Skywalker saga with everybody who comes out of the theater. You can buy popcorn and raisinets, and it's a total letdown. You're like, God, that was a ripoff. What did you not do? You went almost all the way, but you never gave the final investment, and you missed the entire point and the whole experience because you sat out in the parking lot and you didn't give yourself to it. Some of us, that's what Christianity's like. We hang around the fringes, and we celebrate stuff that God's kind of done, and we love worship songs, da, 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 but we're not, a, we're not giving anything to anyone. We're not asking the question, God, what have you given me so that I can give it to other people? Paul says, we were eager to give our souls to you. Our souls. What if that's the description of your Christianity? You're early and you hang out on Sundays with people and you sit and you pray and you talk afterwards and you do it 52 times a year, but that's it. That's the full expression of your Christian walk with God. You don't fully invest in giving your soul to us. And your Christianity is high and dry and theologically accurate, but it's empty and it's unfulfilling. How can I give myself away? Get involved with people. <laughs> we don't do a lot of great things here. I think it's a great church, but we do a lot of things about halfway sometimes. Here's what we do really well. We give you opportunities for you to give yourself away. 
in the way that God has gifted you to and he has designed you to. This isn't the church making stuff up. God's designed you to do this and he's gifted you so that you can give yourself away to others. It's at this place, at this time, with somebody in this room or associated with our church, God has made you for right now to give yourself to someone else. I also want to encourage you to do it in a way that God's made you to do it. Some of you are going to be uh, a pastor with people. Some of you are going to be a mother with people or a father with people or, people or a worker with someone, side, walk, walking side by side with somebody. Do it your way. I will say this, it's not optional. God calls us to give ourselves away for each other. What is optional is how you flesh that out. How you figure out how to take your gifts and your abilities and give those away to other people, your experiences, that does kind of rest with you. All of us, man, I hope you hear this. Every single one of us has pastoral responsibilities. That raised the notch high enough for you? You have, a, you have a pastoral responsibility if you're a believer to minister to someone else, to give yourself away to somebody else, to pour your soul into somebody else. That is a ministry that belongs to all of us. My job, Jimmy's job, Jared's job is to equip you to do the ministry. That's what scripture says. Not to be the pastors, but to equip you to be pastors, to be shepherds. Find out what it means to give your souls away, to be eager to share your souls. 1 Peter 1.22 says, love one another earnestly from the heart. That's the call for us in this text today. Life on life discipleship, guys. It costs something. We're going to give our souls to it with eagerness. It's going to please us. God's got to do some work in us, right, to make this happen. Boldness and courage, and then it's, it's got to fill us up and be satisfying. Bow your heads. God, I pray that you would do this here. What's, maybe you can pray this prayer. Lord, do this in my heart. Do this in my heart. Make me eager to give my life, my soul, to other people. I would challenge you here because God's certainly able to do this. If you recognize, man, I'm not doing this, I don't know where to start, ask him right now, God, <laughs> I know I'm not. How do I get started? Show me somebody. Before I get out today, before this week is over, show me someone that I can, I can give my soul to. I can pour myself into them. God, make us a church like this. Make us a blessing and encouragement to each other. Father, we don't want to be satisfied with an observational Christianity, a Christianity that sits back and observes and consumes. We want to be a church and Christians who walk out of this place ready to live life with each other and build each other up and give ourselves away and walk into hard things and be courageous and gentle with each other, God. Let us experience the fullness of Christianity. Give me someone I can give my soul to. You pray that prayer? Give me somebody I can give my soul to. Thank you, God, for this encouragement. Let us remember this young, young church in Thessalonica, God, and the faithfulness they showed. And let us be that kind of church, too, faithful to walk with each other. In your name we pray, amen.